Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Random Fit. I am Wendy Batts here with my colleague and co-host, Mr. Ken Miller. Ken, how are you today? I'm good, Wendy. How you doing? I am great. It is a beautiful, <laughs> cold, clear day here in Atlanta. I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> it looks so warm, and then you go outside, not so much. So, yes. <laughs> no, it's winter. I'm telling you, yeah, welcome to winter. But uh, I'm excited about today's uh, podcast that we have because we have VP of Nutrition Services at DotFit. She is a registered dietitian and one of our nutrition master instructors for the National Academy of Sports Medicine, Miss Kat Bearfield, joining us. So, Kat, welcome to the podcast and thanks for being here. Hey, I'm honored to be here. Always like chatting it up with you guys. <laughs> I'm telling you, well, today's a big day because I think it's going to be the perfect timing. We are going to talk about setting realistic nutrition goals because, you know, we can set all types of goals, but I think the nutrition one is the one that often miss, misses the mark. So we're excited to have you help us through this because I know I miss it every year. <laughs> right, right, right. Way too you're high. not alone. You're not alone. So it's all good. <laughs> Um, well, you know what, I'm going to actually just kind of start out, I'll, I'll do the first one, Ken, so I don't mean to kind of take over, but I'm, like I said, love <laughs> having Kat here. Take and, it. you know, I think the biggest question that I see, I also get as a trainer and I hear most often is that I do set these nutrition goals. That part's easy and everyone thinks it's easy. However, how do you know if they're realistic, if you're really not you know, if you're not as, I mean, you being a registered dietitian, you know everything when it comes to nutrition. If, if you're not really sure about differences in macronutrients and all that, how do you know if the goals that you're setting are realistic and how can you help us kind of walk through that path? Right. So I think that the first thing is, is checking your mindset. You know, a lot of people, especially this time of year, they want to do these diets and they want to overhaul their, all their eating habits, which is from a behavioral perspective, a, a bit unrealistic, right? Unless there's maybe a life altering event, then maybe they've got high motivation levels and they're able, they, they're able to do that. But you got to think to yourself, okay, if I'm going to change the way I eat, if I'm going to eat differently, can I do this the rest of my life? That would probably be the first question you want to ask yourself. Can I make this change for the rest of my life, whether it be eating more vegetables, whether it be cooking more, drinking more water, eliminating certain foods? It's can I do this the rest of my life? Can I make this change permanent? You know, and you've really got to like sort of be introspective and about that, because if you are someone who loves pasta and you're going to tell yourself, I am not going to eat pasta. Probably not realistic. <laughs> <laughs> Note to self, cookies are still on my list. So sweet. <laughs> yeah, and that's okay. And that's okay to have cookies on your list. It's probably frequency, you know what I mean, and an amount that you might want to modify based on the rest of your diet. But there's no need to eliminate anything really um, from from your food plan. Everything can fit. So you know, that's why I love you, Kat. Everything fits. <laughs> Everything have can your, fit. Have your cookies, Wendy. Have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> yeah. So, so that that actually, you brought up some good points. You, you're talking about sustainability. Now, how do you get started on that on that on that right foot? You know, how right. do you, I want to eat more salad. I want to eat more fruits yeah. and vegetables. How do I right. get started? Where, where do you tell people to start? Yeah. So there's a couple things that you can do when you're looking at changing your eating habits. You want to first, um, you know, brainstorm. 
what are all the things you can do to eat more vegetables per se? Do you, can you eat them at breakfast? Can you eat them at lunch and dinner? Can you have them for snacks? What are all the opportunities? So I would probably start with like a little brain dump and maybe just come up with a bunch of ideas on how you could eat more vegetables. And then you want to look at it is how easy is it for me to execute it? Because the easier it is for you to execute that action, maybe eat a salad at lunch, then the more likely it is that you'll do it. And you guys know you're busy professionals. You know, you've got a lot going on. So if you have to like take an hour at lunchtime to chop up lettuce and vegetables and you've got a ton of meetings and other things going around, maybe kids, maybe dogs, you're not setting yourself up for success, right? So so what can you do that fits your preferences and lifestyle? And what is easy to execute? So for example, for me, I do bag salads. I love the, there's so many variety of different bag salads nowadays, right? So I do bag salads and I like to bake or grill a salmon or some protein on the weekends, but sometimes I can't do that. My kids have games, I'm running around. So what do I have as backup? I have frozen chicken breast strips in my freezer. So when lunchtime comes around and I have 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 10 minutes to eat in between meetings or running around, then the chicken breast strips go in the microwave for two minutes. So the bag salads go into a bowl and voila. In 90, no, what is that? A 180 seconds, I have a high vegetable salad with good protein. So fits my lifestyle, easy to execute. That's that's what that's what you gotta think. And may and for everybody it's different. That's why it's so important to, you know, do an intake of your preferences and your lifestyle. Be realistic with what you can execute. And that's what we're talking about today, guys. We're talking about setting realistic nutrition goals here with Kat Bearfield. And, you know, she's brought up some some easy things to think about. Make it easy, except for, you know, let me ask you this. I have a family and yep. I have a five-year-old and he's now got a crazy schedule because we're getting him involved in sports. As you know, I have like a thousand jobs. I am and and getting my hands dipped in a lot of stuff. So I'm a snacker. Like I don't have a lot of time sometimes to sit down for breakfast and lunch and have like a pure, you know, like a good nutrition breakfast or nutritionist breakfast or lunch. So yeah. if I if I'm a snacker and mm -hmm. I'm on the go, what would you offer as suggestions for someone like me? Because this is very realistic. Yeah. Um, what are your go to snacks and and why, I guess? Yeah, I, I would say. You know, you want to pair foods and obviously you want it to be portable. So what I mean by pair foods is you might want to do like nuts, a handful of nuts, like a little portion of nuts and with a piece of fruit. That's easy to go. Right. Or a bar along with a piece of fruit or dried fruit along with um, some cut up vegetables. So you want to pair foods and um, you want things to be portable. I'm a huge fan, as you guys know, of, of whey protein or plant protein because we all can benefit from eating high quality protein, especially as we age. So, um, you know, pair foods and then make it portable. And then for little kids, you know, what worked for my kids were those, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, bananas, um, trail mix, things that they enjoy, you know, granola bars, um, all types of fruit that they enjoy. And that way it's grab and go. You put it in a place where it's highly visible for them and for you, or you store it in your bag or your car or your backpack and you're always ready to go, right? But one of my favorites for travel is, is oatmeal. So I do a high fiber, high protein oatmeal packet on the go 
Normally the, you know, the hotel has a, you can do hot water in the little coffee maker or microwave. And then I do a scoop of whey protein. And now I have, you know, oatmeal with, with, with a good dose of protein. And then you can grab a banana from the front desk or an apple from typically they have it at, at the, in the lobby. Right. So there you have it. So I tell you what, you know how many bags, backpacks I've had (laughs) that I've found like a squashed banana or (laughs) a, a little, uh, you know, a, a, a compressed peanut butter and jelly sandwich, uh, especially after an outing or a weekend out and about. So it's good to know that I'm on the same page, but for yep. the most part, it's for for a hint for everybody, just make sure you clean out your bags when you got all that portable food, because <laughs> there's been times where it's like, wait a second, I haven't seen a banana in a week. So that guy's been in there. Yeah. I'm, I'm really worried about you, Ken. I, I, you know, it's just... I think- I need to have a talk with your wife. Just well, to, you know. between well, here's the thing between <laughs> swim meets, water polo tournaments, baseball. You know what I mean? It's like you put the bag in the closet, and the next thing oh. you know, the next event, you pull it out, and then you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, in in your case, Ken, I'd probably do dried fruit, <laughs> yeah, and bars, and I probably wouldn't do the fresh fruit in your bag. Like, yeah, if yeah. you're gonna grab a piece of fresh fruit, then you need to make a rule for yourself. You need to eat it right away. You need to eat it right away. Yeah. So let's let's stick with that theme. Uh, as far as you know, what are we going to do to you know keep the family nice and healthy? You talked about things on the go, but when we're ready for the big three meals, right? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. Now, as busy as we are, we like I mentioned, we got swim, we got water polo, baseball, basketball, all those things throughout the year. Um, but we're trying to have a sit down dinner. We're trying to eat together as a family. Um, so, yeah. So how do how do we how do we ensure this this healthy eating lifestyle as a, as a group as a collective? So it, it probably takes a little bit of planning, right? So if you're going to want to sit down for lunch during, I'm sorry, for dinner during the week, then you might want to do a little bit of planning on the weekend and, and have things, you know, have so, somewhat of a of a plan. Like, are you going to do crock pot on Monday and then have leftovers on Tuesday? Are you going to do tacos on Wednesday and sandwiches on Thursday? So you're going to want to do a little bit of planning so that you can have everything ready to go and in stock in your kitchen and, and you can prep it. So a little bit of planning and then it's, you know, plan B, you always want to have a plan B. So if you cannot do that, are there certain restaurants in your area that you can order healthy foods from that you can Uber Eats? Let's you press for time or, um, you know, whatever you don't have food on hand, you don't have groceries. Are there certain things like restaurants that you can put on your speed dial and certain meals that you've pre-picked out? Okay. I know I can do this with my family. I love it. It totally makes sense. It makes sense to me. You make it sound so easy. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And those of you guys that are joining us, we're talking about setting realistic nutrition goals here with Kat Barefield and, of course, my co-host, Mr. Ken Miller. And, you know, I think, you know, what I'm taking away from what Kat's saying is make it easy, stick it in, stick it out on the counter so it's in your face. And, you know, um, you know, as we were talking about dinner, I mean, do you have like a suggestion like throughout the week, you know, is there you know, should you have, and I don't, and I really don't know this, and this is kind of a off the wall question, but is there a time where you should have so much fish, so much meat, or so just, you know, should you just go vegetarian, like, or is it just really your preference? Like, is there like a healthy balance, I guess? 
Yeah, there definitely is, right? But going back to the beginning is it's got to be sustainable. So it's got to be something that you're going to, you know, keep up. So it's a it's a it's a mix between preferences, lifestyle, etc. So um, in general, from a nutrient standpoint, you want to get at least eight ounces of fatty fish a week for your omega threes, or you're going to have to get another source of um, marine omegas. Just in general, it's an essential nutrient. It's good for inflammation, for brain, for heart health, all these good things. So you're going to want to do that. And then in general, from a protein standpoint, you know, you want to optimize protein intake for, you know, obviously we're talking about active individuals, active individuals need more protein. So you're going to want at least 0.7 grams per pound of your body weight um, per day to optimize, you know, muscle health and, and, and to keep muscle as you age. Um, and then of course, you're going to want to meet your fiber goals, right? So for fiber goals come from whole grains, fruits, vegetables, etc. So there's a lot of things that are optimal. But again, we got to start with what's realistic and easy for each individual. What do they want to do? What can they do? There you have it. Yeah, man. <laughs> Exclamation point. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I was, that little, that little pregnant pause. A little uh, was, like, mic drop, for, right? <laughs> I was thinking, what do they want to do? What do they need to do? Uh, <laughs> and, what, right. And everybody with nutrition, they want cut and dry. They want yes, no. Is it this or is it that? And all good, you know, trainers and, and nutrition professionals, most of the time they're going to say, well, it depends. What, what What's the context? Right. So what's the age of the person? What are they trying to achieve? Um, you know, what is their lifestyle like? What are what do they like? What do they don't like? So it's very rarely, you know, black and white because nutrition is so personal, isn't it? It's it's very personal. That's right. And, very much so. And you know, talking about, you know, these these sustainable habits going out, getting your food, fruits, vegetables and all and all the like, but now, now we're talking about investment in yourself. And now that we're talking about buying things, we have to consider costs and budget. What are, you know, what, what do you suggest for, for people wanting to make this lifestyle change, but now they, they're looking at their, they're balancing their checkbook. How can we keep this financially manageable? And as you're saying, sustainable, if this is going to fit into my lifestyle, because isn't eating healthy expensive? It, I mean, it can be, it, but again, it depends. What are you comparing it to? Are we comparing it well, to like 99 cent tacos or something? Like, yeah, what, like you know, it's so. easy for me to walk around the corner, get some, <laughs> get a, get a medium cheese pizza. Cause I know my kids will yeah. eat it. Right. right. It's, a, it's a slam dunk, you know, chicken right. nuggets, all that good stuff. Right. But you know, now it's like, okay, well outside of my, you know, I pull out what's in my pocket. Okay, here we go. But right. how do I how do I make that investment or how do I budget things or what are some things I can consider yeah. when it so, comes to shopping? Right. So, again, like there are certain things you can buy in bulk that makes it cheaper. Right. Like and then, of course, buying fruits and vegetables when they're on sale, buying uh, like beans and grains in bulk that will make things cheaper as well. So on sale in bulk are, are the major things you, you want to look at you know, from a, from a fresh fruits and vegetables. And then if you can do a local farmer's market, a lot of times, you know, mm -hmm. their, their prices are, are really reasonable and the food is really fresh. 
So you get the you get the best best of both worlds. And if you pick foods that your kids really enjoy, like the taste of you know a fresh peach or you know yummy strawberries that are from that are locally grown, they're going to want it and they're going to want to eat it. It won't go to waste. But if you try to get them things that they don't really enjoy, then obviously, then you know it's it's going to be a waste of money. Well, so can I have a question? Um, and and again. I'm thinking about myself, you know, you go to the grocery store and you were just talking about some different fruits and, you know, you see strawberries or bananas and you see the organic ones and right next to it is just strawberries or bananas. Doesn't say it doesn't have that sticker that says organic. I mean, is there a huge difference between the two, especially when you're thinking about costs? The reason I ask is always it's 50 cents more or whatever. I mean, but, but is it truly better for us? No. So when you when you so the difference between organic and conventional it's it's a farming method right it's organic they still use pesticides they just can't use synthetic pesticides so and then when you look at um, the difference between what is the pesticide content of organic versus um, conventional yes organic is lower but they're both well below the tolerable intake level so it's they're still both very safe and then if you couple that on top of adequately washing your fruits and vegetables then you're getting rid of more. So um, when you look at the data, um, organic foods are not necessarily more nutrition. They don't have any more nutritional content. They do have, for the most part, less pesticides. But once again, both conventional and organic have pesticide content well below the safety level. So I would say um, if it's a preference for you, if you like organic for whatever reason, maybe ethical, maybe it tastes better for you, whatever, and you can afford it, then go ahead, go for it. But if you can't afford it and it's not part of your budget, then don't worry about it. Get the conventional, wash them and enjoy them. Hmm. You know, my my ration or the reason why I ask is because I'm like, well, organic, if it says organic is probably better. So thank you for that. Yeah. And that's <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, relatively speaking, it is relatively speaking to conventional, you know, there's fewer pesticides, but if it doesn't make a difference, because both are within safe ranges, then it doesn't make a difference. Right? Okay. Yeah. But the organic industry is a huge industry. So they put a lot of, if if they're going to add that extra sticker, that means I should buy it. And it's, and I, you know, we got to keep in mind that, you know, it's a business. It is a business to sell organic foods. And so they're going to put a lot of effort into their messaging to consumers, you know, to buy organic when in reality, you know, I would rather have someone buy conventional and in their food budget than avoid fruits and vegetables because it's not organic. That is silly. That is silly. You're, <laughs> you're skipping out on all the benefits of fruits and vegetables because you can't afford organic when it's perfectly fine to eat conventional foods. Okay. Yeah. Now that that really feeds into the budget side of things because, you know, considering when you go to the grocery store and they have a whole section mm-hmm. of that fruit and vegetable area that's dedicated towards organic and yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I might go get a banana that has organic sticker and just a conventional one on the other side, but it kind of makes sense to where I could just stick with conventional if that's what financially makes sense, especially yeah. when I'm, when you're buying for a family of four or five. Right. Absolutely. Or one. Or one. 
<laughs> you got to eat it fast. You know, that that's right. You go to Costco, get this huge thing. You're like, yes. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, we've got to eat bananas for the, like the whole week in order yeah. for them not to go bad. So yes. Or make banana bread. Oh, <laughs> yes. If I knew how to do that, I'm not a baker. That, baking. <laughs> that goes back to the time. And I'm like, yeah. hmm. right. That's right. That's right. It goes back to, can you execute? Right. You need to move closer, Kat. You need to be closer to me. Help me help you. <laughs> so what else? What else do people want to know? What are people what are people asking? Well, I think I think one of the things is and, and you brought up adding more, you know, is if we're trying to make some body change, trying to be healthier, you want to add more fruits and vegetables, add fiber, make more of these conscious choices, like you're saying, you know, getting those um, what do we call it, the marine omegas. But in your in, you know, in your consultations and when you're talking about people getting healthier, what are, you know, if you can give us just five things that you'd like to see people add into their diet or at least consider adding into their diet as they move forward in the quest for health and wellness. Yeah. So I would say, um, you know, if you're active and I'm assuming everyone that's listening to this is make sure that you're prioritizing high quality protein, preferably at every meal. Um, there's just so many benefits from a weight management standpoint, muscle metabolism, et cetera. So high quality protein at every, and high quality just means, um, you know, complete protein sources, whether that's fish or animal products, or if it's, you know, soy or plant proteins that are combined, um, to, to make sure you're getting all of the essential nutrients. So I would say that first, then I would say probably, um, leafy greens, eating more, you know, vegetables. There's just so much benefit to getting greens and all the nutrients that are in there that people are short in. And then um, I would say colorful berries, right? So uh, going back to that, you know, classic concept of eating like the rainbow, um, colorful berries, also some type of calcium rich food. Um, a lot of people aren't consuming enough calcium rich foods. And so what we see down the line are kids that get, you know, fracture or, you know, easily fracture or, you know, weak bones, osteoporosis later on in life because they're not getting enough calcium rich foods and, and vitamin D rich foods. So I would say that. And um, what was the uh, probably I would say legumes, beans, peas, lentils, because they're they're just so packed with nutrients. They got a lot of fiber in them. You know, they're cheap. So adding those in and, and they also help to manage hunger levels. So um, was that five? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It gives us a good, good idea of, of things to add in. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this, and you, and what kind of sparked this next question is when you're talking about high quality protein, and when I think about protein, you know, I kind of lump some dairy in there as well. Um, yeah. But when you talk about that, you know, what pops into my head is this non-GMO, right? Mm. You know, when you get that sticker on there, you see it on the label. Can mm -hmm. you explain a little bit more about that? Because I, I found myself being a little tongue-tied explaining that to my kids when they, you know, they sit there, they've got the package in front of them and they're just reading it. So what does this mean? I go, well, let, yeah. me, ask, let me ask Auntie Kat and see, <laughs> well, and see what she I, says. This is not my area of expertise or, or GMO genetically modified um, foods, but I will say that to my knowledge, there's only a handful that are, are officially um, approved GMO foods. Yeah. 
So people seem to think that they're everywhere and they're not. There's only right. a few. And the data indicates that they're fine, that, you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're act, or there could actually be some benefits to it. Probably more in third world countries where it's a little bit the nutri nutri nutritional intake of the foods is a little bit lower. Um, but there's only a handful of them. So non-GMO in a lot of cases means nothing. You know, it's a marketing tactic. Ah, it's All this marketing, it's, it's messing with our minds, people. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's... Yeah, so I could look it up. Maybe we could do a, another podcast on follow up. But I, I, yeah. I, to my knowledge, there's only a few officially approved GMO foods, and the data, you know, in regards to safety, points to that they're perfectly fine. That's probably inconclusive at right right now. Right. Um, but that's what the data is pointing to: is that when consumed in moderate amounts, that it, it's not really going to affect you. I, I think what happens in nutrition is. People want to, you know, they they major in minor things. You know, they want to talk about organic or, you know, um, GMO or alkaline water and 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 don't master the basics like controlling your calorie intake, eating adequate protein, getting enough fruits and vegetables. Like, let's master the basics. Let's focus on the fundamentals first. And then we can get nuanced and nitpick because all this other stuff, including artificial sweeteners, they don't make that big of a difference. Organic doesn't. Artificial sweeteners is not bad for you. GMO is not a big deal. Like we major in minor things when it comes to nutrition and we miss the big picture. While you're, while you're worried about the diet Coke, you're eating too many calories. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. can we, can we focus? <laughs> I love it. I love it. And if you guys are just joining us, we're talking about setting realistic nutritional goals here with Kat and Bearfield. So Ken Miller and I are, you're just asking all kinds of questions. So poor Kat's getting hammered right now. Um, well, but, good. <laughs> bring it on. Um, well, you know, here's my next question. And I, I don't know if there's a black and white answer. So I would like to see your take on this. Yeah. You know, you read a bunch of different, or you read different, uh, research articles, you see things on television and you go and you hear all this stuff when you go to different conferences. So how many times a day should I eat? And do I have to eat the first thing in the morning to set my metabolism for the day? Like, can you kind of talk through when should I eat? When does it make sense? And how do I kind of set those realistic goals? Not just the food, but when? Okay. So it depends. It depends. <laughs> how old are you? Right. How old are you? What are you trying to achieve? Are you working out in the morning or in the afternoon? So I have a series of questions to ask you and all my clients when they ask me questions like this. So you don't have to eat in the morning to set your metabolism. That is a myth. You don't have to eat a certain number of times a day to increase your metabolism. That's also been disproven. So it just depends on what your scenario is. Some people can skip breakfast and work out in the morning and they feel perfectly fine. They actually feel invigorated by it. They like it. They like exercising in a fasted state. Some people can't. They can't do that. They have low blood sugar symptoms. They're dizzy. Their workouts um, suffer. So it would be it would behoove them to consume something in the morning before they before they train. Um, if you're older than like older fifty and older, then you're going to want to prioritize three high quality protein meals a day for muscle health. If you're younger, you can get away with not doing that so much because your body prioritizes muscle mass. As you get older, your body goes ah. Uh, you're done reproducing. We don't really need you around anymore. You can leave the earth. <laughs> oh, wow. 
<laughs> I'm being sarcastic, but from an evolutionary standpoint, it's true, right? You've, you're done contributing to propagating the species most likely. And at 50, you start losing muscle tissue at a market rate and you couldn't start to wither away. So if you well, don't want to wither away, then you're going to want to prioritize protein um, at least three times a day. And I'll give you a number if anybody wants it, 0.18 grams per pound per meal if you're over 50 and at least three meals a day. I covered that in the NASM Optima um, in the healthy aging session that I did. If anybody wants to refer back. Oh, I, I got I got to go watch that because as you're, <laughs> as you're talking, Kat, I, you know, it just makes me want to say, it, it was good knowing you guys. You know? yeah, you're you're <laughs> weathering away, Ken. I, I, you know? had, I had fun. I have reproduced and uh, well, <laughs> I can go away now. <laughs> it sounds a bit morbid, right? But if you really think about it, like if you think about it, like we at age 50 is when you do see a market decrease in a lot of physiological processes. Not only do women approach, you know, stop producing, um, you know, estrogen, um, but also your muscle starts to atrophy at a pretty significant rate. And the only two ways to offset that is by resistance training and by eating adequate protein. That's it. Same thing with bone health. Bone health is the same way, right? You've got to have weight-bearing exercise. You've got to have protein and you've got to have calcium, vitamin D-rich foods. There's no way around it. So it's so important. I know we, maybe we're talking to a younger audience, but, you know, it's so important to prioritize resistance training and high-quality nutrition. Yeah. So you've mentioned high calcium and rich foods. Can you give us yeah. a couple of examples? You said it two or three times already. So yeah. I just want to make sure that we're clear on, you know, what it is that we can consume that would give us calcium, maybe some more vitamin D. Yeah. So, okay. So from a, from a, from a um, nutrient standpoint, right. Whey is probably the highest quality protein source. Um, so that's derived from dairy, dairy products. So dairy is rich in calcium. All dairy foods for the most part are rich in calcium. And, and then also a lot of dairy is fortified with vitamin D, right? The government added vitamin D into the food supply when our population shifted from an agricultural economy to um, a more um, automated, you know, technological. So we start, stopped, stopped working outdoors and started doing machine type work indoors. So a lot of your dairy products are not only naturally high in calcium, but they're fortified in vitamin D. So that's what I mean. Now, um, and whey is an excellent source because it's high quality, has all the essential amino acids, rich in leucine, which turns on your muscle building machinery. Um, and is easily digestible, especially around workouts. So that's why whey is so popular. But nowadays we also have alternatives. We have cal um, dairy alternatives. So if you wanna go with a soy or an oat or um, an almond, they're, they're not milk per se, because milk is produced from mammals, uh, but they are good sources of calcium if they're fortified if they're fortified. So you've got to read the labels. Does it have extra calcium? And I would say around 20 to 25% calcium, 250 to 300 milligrams is a good source of calcium. And is it fortified with vitamin D? And most likely, unlike dairy, which is milk products, which are going to be rich in protein, um, these um, beverages derived from soy or almond or cashew or oats are not naturally rich in protein. So that's so that's why when you compare the two, whey is superior because whey is naturally high in protein and calcium and essential amino acids, um, whereas these plant sources are not. Does it make them bad? Does it make them not nutritious? Just different, right? And you have to be aware of the differences between them. Nice. 
That that is a mouthful right there. I mean, sorry. <laughs> well, I'd say I'd say an earful, but earful doesn't sound as good. <laughs> well, but, I, yeah. I was going to say I have a I have a question too because this was a, a hot topic in my family, and um, maybe and Kat, I don't know if this is kind of outside your scope. I wouldn't, I, you know. So just let me know if I need to yeah. go read some stuff, but let's talk about milk. You know, you talk yeah. about calcium and everything. And so when you go to the grocery store now, um, you see this ultra pasteurized, super ultra pasteurized, not, you know, grass fed this, you know, is there a certain type, especially if you're thinking about vitamin D, because I know that, that now we're seeing so many people are lacking vitamin D. So if we want to add milk into our diets, is there a certain milk that we should really focus on? Does it really matter? What's the difference between all this different ultra pasteurized versus not <laughs> okay, so 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 there's techniques in pasteurization, but in general, you just want to pasteurize the milk because what does pasteurization do? It kills all the bacteria and it reduces the incidence of foodborne illnesses, right? Like getting getting food sick. So you want to pasteurize milk. I don't think there's any major benefit from all the different types. I think that's more of a, a marketing thing. So, so go with the pasteurized milk. Don't pay extra for an ultra pasteurized milk <laughs> if you don't have to or want to. And then the other side of that, if it's a preference of yours for whatever reason and you can afford it, then go for it, right? Oh, yes. Well, now you've got the D, you know, you've got all this stuff for kids, like the kids growing milk and this and that. I'm like, yeah, oh my goodness. Yeah. Like, again, a basic I maybe maybe I would say the ones that are fortified with omega threes might be a benefit because it's hard for kids to eat fish and get the omega threes. So that might be something that I would that would, I would buy as a you know parent with a growing kid. But definitely pasteurized milk fortified with vitamin D. And then if it's got some extra omegas in there, throw that in there. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of variety, too. If you want to mix up the different sources, you know, maybe you put in a little bit of soy. There's some benefits to soy as long as you're not eating it every, at every single meal. You know, there's, you know, maybe they like the, the taste of the almond, the almond milk, you know. <laughs> so, so variety is good as long as they've got the basics, right? Are they fortified with calcium and vitamin D? And I was, a, I was the mom that was like, you're drinking milk. You're drinking milk at least twice a day because you need the nutrients. You're growing and you stop building bone in your mid-20s, maybe late 30s. And so you have this short window of putting all these nutrients, you know, sort of banking your bones, if you will. And if you miss that window, you're setting yourself up for weak bones later on in life. And that might not mean anything to you right now, but, you know, you fracture a hip or, you know, you're disabled because you're falling that's quality of life, right? That's quality of life as you get older. Well, my kid is a klutz. I love him dearly. He's five, but it's like he's falling on his face before catching with his hands. So we've had so many issues. Um, so we are we are big milk pushers in, in my family as well. But um, I, I, one more question that I have before I ask my quote final question for you, and I know Ken's got probably a few others, but um, when we talk about vitamin D, I mean, I know, I, I'm sure you're going to tell us that we need to think about, you know, having a multivitamin, but am I getting enough vitamin D in a multivitamin or is there a certain amount of vitamin D that we should really make sure that we're consuming as well? 
you know, you know, you know, my answer is going to be, I right? do I okay. drink a whole bottle, have a whole bottle of vitamin D pills next to you and just, no, 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 I just get it. No, honestly, my answer is it depends. Okay. So what is the richest source? I saw that right? one coming. It's it, the, the richest source of vitamin D is sunlight, UVB radiation. That is, that is where we should be getting our vitamin D. Vitamin D does not naturally occur in food sources and very many food sources, probably fish is probably might be the best, um, but it is not, it's not in food, it's in the sun. We were designed to get sunlight. And I think it's a brilliant design because vitamin D receptors are everywhere in our body. It probably affects around a thousand different physiological processes in the body. And so nature put it in the sun so that you could always get enough, right? How much sunlight do we need in order to have um, enough vitamin D levels? Well, in general, you need around 20 minutes of direct sunlight to most of the surface of your body. That's what you need. Do most people get that? No. Maybe if you live on a tropical island and you work outside, yet yeah, you get enough. But most of industrialized society that has an office job, they don't get that much. And that's why we see widespread insufficiencies and some deficiencies in vitamin D. So um, if you're not getting that much sunshine, the most accurate way to know if you're getting enough vitamin D through your diet and or multivitamins is if you get a blood test. That is the most accurate way to do that. Now, if you haven't done that yet and you want just nutritional insurance, then I would say get at least a thousand international units um, from your multivitamin and or a separate vitamin D level on a daily basis as insurance. Now, just to give you context, you know, for me, I live in Southern California. I have melanated skin, right? So what that means is I have pigmentation in my skin and that pigmentation prevents me from being damaged from the sunlight, right? Which again, makes it harder for the body to produce vitamin D. Makes sense from an evolutionary standpoint, because I'm living in the tropics and I have a lot of sunlight and I'm exposed to a lot of sunlight, then I get protection from the melanin, the pigmentation in my skin right? But then I'm screwed if I'm working indoors every day. <laughs> so, so my blood test, my blood tests show that I, that I hover right around 30 nanograms per deciliter, but, um, in my blood levels. And that's about where you want to be now. Optimal is closer to 40. So for me to get to 40, I have to consume around 6,000 international units a day. That's just, that's me, 6,000. The RDA is like 800 international units. So that's why I say it depends because it depends on your lifestyle. If you're getting sun, if you have what your genetics are, what your pigmentation is, what your diet is. So that's why I say it depends. But for most people listening, if you're not in the sunshine every day for at least 20 minutes, most of then a thousand is a, is a good place for nutritional insurance, but get your blood tested, get your blood tested. Okay. I kind of see us <laughs> having another podcast. With <laughs> Here we are. We're talking about labeling, marketing, <laughs> vitamin D, and we're here talking about setting realistic nutrition goals. So part of this is about knowing, okay, how are we going to create these habits that's going to help us sustain a lifestyle that incorporates uh, you know, mindfulness, as you said at the very beginning of, of the podcast, you know, in making sure that our intentions are towards, you know, making the right choices uh, for ourselves as well as for those that are around us. But um, I think, I mean, I, I mean, 
there's a lot of stuff that you just downloaded onto us. And like he's like when when Eric's putting me on the screen, and I'm looking I'm looking down because I'm taking notes. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of good stuff here that I think is just giving us some food for thought as far as the things we need to consider when setting these goals. And I think you hit the, the nail on the head. I mean, we have to just I mean, how many times did you say it depends? We have to look at what it is that you as a person need out of life and to, to live your life. But uh, I think you've given quite a bit of, you know, tips and tricks and say tricks, but things to think about when it comes to making the investment in our in our health and wellness over over the long haul. Yeah. And, and that's the main thing that people get tripped on, tripped up on, especially this time of year is this all or nothing mindset. I have to go on this diet and lose all this weight ASAP, even though it took me 40 plus years to get to this point, I got to do it in the next six weeks, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that is a setup. That's a setup from, you know, from a from a certain standpoint for failure. Now, can it be a kickstart? Certainly can be a kickstart, but then you got to think to yourself, okay, let's say I do this six week or 12 week thing or diet or whatever. Then you got to think, okay, what are the sustainable changes that I can incorporate in my daily life? And it doesn't have to be all or nothing. As a matter of fact, it's probably the last thing you want is all or nothing. It's baby steps. What are the baby steps? Now, the last element I want to touch upon is um, something called celebration. And this is something that's often overlooked. As you're changing your eating habits, let's say you decide to eat more vegetables and you're going to eat a salad every day, right? It, after you eat your salad, you need to give yourself a little attaboy, girl, pat on the back and celebrate it. And what that does is it, it reinforces and sends this maybe a little bit of a dopamine hit to your brain and it wires that habit in. And most of us walk around with this committee in our head, beating ourselves up about what we should do, what we should have done, what we did wrong, what we need to do in the future. And we don't spend enough time reinforcing the stuff that we do do. So if you can make baby steps in your change, in your eating habits and your nutritional habits, give yourself some credit, allow that change to wire in and allow yourself to feel good about the changes you're making. And it makes the process a lot more enjoyable. Does that make sense? Does, sound, right. does that sound corny or does that make sense? <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense. And, and and we tell our clients, you know, from a fitness standpoint, you know, if we're personal trainers, right? We're telling them, hey, thanks for walking in the door today. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think uh, we, we can actually celebrate the closing of this uh, this podcast, <laughs> considering, you know, you've, you've shared with us so much, Kat, and I'm, and I'm actually really serious about getting you back on, you know, one of these things, whether it's, you know, expanding on milk or, you know, <laughs> or organic. Can you do a deep I, dive I, on milk if you want. I know a lot of people or, have questions about milk and inflammation yeah. and all that stuff, which yeah. is disproven, by the way. But yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> let's booker. Let's booker, guys. So, hey, Kat, thank you so much. Always a pleasure working with you, learning from you as as we always do on these things. So on behalf of Wendy and I, again, thank you so much for spending this this podcast recording. And uh, we'll, we'll get you again uh, on the Random Fit Show again. So, hey. well, you guys, yeah, no, thank you. Thank you again. I uh, can't thank you enough, as I'm probably doing right now. But <laughs> for those of you <laughs> listening to us here on Random Fit, thanks for listening. Uh, really, really appreciate you being here with us today. It's, especially with our guest uh, registered dietitian, Kat Bearfield. 
And uh, if you want to hear more from us, like, follow, subscribe, and comment, and we'll be sure to get something on here that you're sure to appreciate when it comes to health, wellness, and fitness, and random fit. So until next time, take care and be well. Oh, 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 o